Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is Soundtrack Your Life. I'd like to thank you for listening today wherever you are. Today we have Michael Borowski, Danny Prokop, and Brandon Paloma of the Butter Band Podcast. Uh, so today we are going to talk about the single soundtrack, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary, which makes me feel really old. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, so Danny and Michael asked to cover this for the podcast. And then at the last second, Brandon was like, hey, have you done singles yet? And I was like, if you can make this recording <laughs> session, you can you can be in on it. And um, I'm glad you could all make it. Um, so a little bit of background. Michael has covered the Pearl Jam album Versus on Stephen Epley's Music Rewind podcast. Danny has been on that podcast as well. And Brandon has a Pearl Jam track by track podcast. So, Danny, why are we talking about singles today? Well, you know, hands down, I think it was one of those, not only soundtracks, but I think it was one of those, uh, it almost was a, a cultural movement. And now if we go back in time a little bit, there was, everyone kind of remembers singles and the movie and the soundtrack as being sort of like, oh, maybe they're cashing in on the quote unquote grunge movement and all that kind of stuff. But it was recorded way before. You know, it's it Cameron Crowe, who, you know, incidentally enough, had Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone in the Say Anything movie, I think in 1989. So years before um, they held the release of singles until, you know, everything kind of hit, you know, grunge wise and all that kind of stuff. But I think for me and especially you know, for people of my generation, it was just sort of, it wasn't so much a soundtrack, but it was almost like a mixtape of almost like the greatest songs that were happening at the time. You know, to this day, I still think Wood, you know, Alice in Chains, Wood might be one of the best songs they've done. Breath and It of Love and Trust, and we'll go through it all, are some of the best Pearl Jam songs. And I know We'll all have an opinion on that, but I think it was just one of those those first soundtracks that hit you over the head and sort of got the zeitgeist of what was going on and everything at the time that you we sort of loved, um, you know, regardless of the movie. And the movie's great, but it was just just sort of one of those sledgehammer soundtracks. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I've seen the movie since like sometime in the mid '90s, but I say I've listened to the soundtrack at least a couple hundred times yeah it's just one of those things like i i, I think like um you know you had screaming trees doing nearly lost you um allison chains wood you know you you go through it and these are songs that everyone you know kind of equates or knows about those bands and but however they weren't known entities when they recorded those songs or you know were involved in the movie at all but hindsight and then after sort of the hype and everybody's releasing records and all that kind of stuff they sort of come to the forefront but it's just one of those it, it captured a place in time and especially if you like the music you know the the seattle music or grunge you know if you like that sound this is one of those quintessential you know mixtapes like i said that you need to listen to and you need to hear. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's, you know, best known for being like this grunge mixtape, but it does pull in some classic rock and it pulls in a Midwesterner by the name of Paul Westerberg, who isn't really yes. known for grunge. No. Well, and I, and I think that's what's so great about it because really if you've, you know, if you've been a fan of grunge from the beginning, that's sort of what grunge is, right? It's class, you know, a little bit of classic rock, a little bit of punk, a little bit of indie or, you know, whatever genre you want to 
equate it with, and it sort of all melds together, right? But Westerberg was doing the same thing, you know, the replacements and all that is, it's a lineage between those bands and what quote unquote grunge is, you know, at the same time. And I think that's what's so great about it before, you know, grunge got commodified and, and became a catch all for heavier bands or bands from one region. It sort of brought it all together. And especially when you think about like, you know, heart love mongers, you know, Hart is on, the, and they've got Jimi Hendrix and Art and some of those bands in there. Those songs are only, you know, 20 years old at the time when this comes out, if that. But they're bridging the gap between, quote-unquote, classic rock and those, uh, the DNA to grunge and all that kind of stuff. Right. And in 1992, yeah. like, the Smashing Pumpkins aren't a known entity yet, but they're an up-and-coming exactly. Yeah, what are they? What are they just? Just jam? Gish oh, came out in '91. Uh, Gish. Yeah. Yeah. So Siamese Dreams not even out yet, which obviously bumps them into a stratosphere. And this was kind of, I know for me, it was kind of the first time I think I heard them. You know, even being from like 100 miles outside of Chicago, uh, growing up, that you really didn't know who the Pumpkins were. At least I didn't. And then. I remember, you know, having this soundtrack and then hearing them and I'm like, man, who are these Smashing Pumpkins guys? And I think I went and got, I found Gish, you know, at like the local like music land or something at the mall. Um, and then obviously when Siamese Dream came out, it was, you know, all the videos with Today and Rocket and all that stuff. It was just a, uh, you're like, oh yeah, I knew who these guys were, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, the stuff that's on Siamese Dream is just, you know, you know, uh, it's better than Drown. But Drown almost sounds like at this on this though to finish the the soundtrack. It's it it doesn't. It kind of sounds like more like um, I want to say almost some stuff. I would say almost from like uh, Melancholy, almost. You know, it has that like that feedback at the end that's very Siamese Dream, but it just. I think that could have fit a little bit like on the slower stuff and um, on, on melancholy, honestly, but I mean, that's just how I think about it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting, like a uh, couple of songs that are not grungy that are on here, or I guess from Seattle, you know, um, especially those guys <laughs> for sure. Well, I think too, those uh, dyslexic art and those Westerberg songs are his first, solo recording after the end of i mean you can say the last replacement record is essentially a westerberg solo album but those are his first solo recordings that are on this and they're hands down i mean he goes on to do like 14 songs and eventually you know those first couple records but those songs are amazing so and obviously they play a very pivotal role or or at least they're involved in the movie um in my mind, you can't go wrong with Westerberg. Yeah, and I believe he scored the movie too. He did. Yes. Yeah. 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 I feel like a bad replacements fan to be like, oh, wait, for... he scored that movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think did Chris Cornell score a couple of a couple of the songs, especially the stuff that's in the extended. Um. Yeah, he did. Version of his soundtrack, I thought. Um, I know my, my wife is, yeah, my wife is reading uh, Total Fucking Godhead right now. I don't know if I can swear, but that's the name of the <laughs> the book um, about Cornell. And I know he's got some credits, at least the stuff that she was telling me, because I, I honestly didn't know that until, you know, she's like, hey, did you know that uh, Chris Cornell, like, scored some of the songs on, on singles? It's supposed to be on, like, the the extended stuff. And obviously I'm one of those people like, ah, if it's just the guitar or something, uh, I mean, I'm, I want to hear Chris Cornell. Sing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The deluxe CD has got the second right CD and it's got, uh, Chris Cornell does have some just guitar stuff. Fairy boat. Number three score piece. Number four. But, uh, the, the, the real key for getting this is for the, uh, yep. the Poncier tape. 
which was yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. So like the yep. uh, the fake demo tape that uh, Jeff Ament made up song names for, and Chris was like, "Oh, I'm going to write real songs for those," and you know, surprise everybody. So when he hands out tapes, they got real songs on them, and you know, that's where Spoonman comes from, and uh, Flutter Girl, which would both find release after this. Uh, but you know, it's got seasons on there and some other songs and stuff. Seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you got missing, which, um, Pearl Jam has covered, you know, twice, two or three times live. I know I was at the show in Seattle, um, in 2018 where they actually covered that. And that was before Kim Thiel and, um, a ben couple Shepard. of uh, the, can never ben remember Shepard. the bass player's name from Soundgarden. Um, ben Shepard. Uh, ben Shepard came out, uh, and they didn't even do a Soundgarden song, but they did the Chris Cornell missing uh, at that show. Which at the time, I'm like, I don't even know what this song is. I've never heard it. I, you know, because I don't think that that Lux. Um, I don't know if that the Lux yeah, album was, was out yet, or maybe I just didn't like put yeah, it together. It came out the day that, after that Chris was the Soundgarden song. So I, I believe that they played it before. Oh Chris my Cornell, goodness! So okay, yeah. But it is amazing when you talk about Cornell. So and maybe the history of the movie and the soundtrack is legend has it, and I don't know the truth of it, but obviously Cameron was married to uh, Nancy Wilson, right? And yeah, and obviously was involved in the scene. But when he decided to, so he had written the script, the the rom com, or you know the movie that would end up with these singles. But when he decided to include these bands stuff in the soundtrack, was after Andrew Wood's funeral and Kelly Curtis's house. They all got together, and he was like, "Oh, this is the first time where I'm, you know, feel a part of community and." You know, I, I guess um, recognizing what it means to be a part of a community, and then so when you think about that, so after Andrew dies, you get Temple of the Dog, you get you know the Amet writing the you know the, the, the Citizen Dick track list, the Poncierge soundtrack, and like everything that sort of stems off of that, just from you know not not one meeting but a community from it i think it's really interesting so brandon why don't you break down these pearl jam songs <laughs> uh yeah sure okay uh sure uh yeah first off the uh, the second track breath um i believe they had uh it was a a song that stone gossard had in his demos before the band got together um the do 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 do's are in there in the in the early demos and stuff and uh <laughs> it, it's kind of surprising when you know you hear the song and you figure oh you know eddie vetter he's the vocalist so he writes those and puts them in there but i don't know like the the, the like you're saying the whole like uh uh danny was saying the whole soundtrack is like a mixtape or something like that and it doesn't really it it stands out as a soundtrack as a uh, mixtape it's like something that like it's the introduction to grunge for you know grunge for dummies i think that you could like hand out to most people and then you know you've (laughs) got uh um the love mong or yeah the love mongers which are in nancy wilson from heart doing an acoustic thing yeah heart and uh you got a Jimi hendrix song on there so it's kind of okay. You got some weird sort of stuff in there, and of course Paul Westerberg. But yeah, the two the pearl the two Pearl Jam songs on here. This is the first time that you'd be able to find them. A lot of these songs, like this, is the only place you could get them in the '90s, like in the early '90s. So it's like, oh, you have to get this if you want the one Soundgarden song, the two Pearl Jam songs, this one Smashing Pumpkin song. Uh, and I believe that um, uh, track number eight, "State of Love and Trust." Uh, ed read the script or saw an early cut of the movie and then uh wrote the lyrics for it 
um which i don't know you listen to the lyrics if you can get the lyrics and read them i don't know how we got anything out of this movie there's like allusions <laughs> to like suicide and stuff and I, I don't know there's like priests and it's 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 really weird it doesn't fit with the movie from what i can tell but i mean hey that's artistic license i guess well, I think to your point, too, when you bring up the program songs, like I was saying before, is that those songs are from, you know, coming off the Temple of the Dog stuff. They're early. They're prior to 10. And so you hear, like, how quickly that band gelled together and could make, you know, those two songs. And I, I would argue that those two songs, you know, Breath and State and Love are two of the strongest in their category you know their catalog and i'm a diehard fan who you know we could talk about this maybe later on your <laughs> podcast <laughs> but but i mean they're standout tracks and they still hold up to this day and that's only you know month, a few months after they all got together you know and like, like i said wood wasn't released before that um you know it, it just kind of encapsulates a time and uh, a community, you know, and that kind of brings it all together. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's, uh, I remember, I think that's one of the reasons why we, I remember buying it at the store was seeing new songs by Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. Like, you got to get it. It, you know, it had the big, it had the sticker on like the CD. I remember that it said new songs by them. And you're like, wait, what? And by the time, you know, you're just so hungry for anything, you'll take it and and you think, oh, man, maybe this will suck. And then it you turn it on and it's, I mean, fantastic the way it just starts out and the breath just kicks in. You know, it's it's like, I mean, really two great Pearl Jam songs. Um, you know, uh, Danny and I were actually just in St. Louis a couple weeks ago for the show and it'd be at, like, yeah, they they played them back to back, which the only reason they did is the new guy, um, Josh Klinghoffer uh, from the Chili Peppers, was reminded them that oh, the soundtrack came out thirty years ago. Uh, maybe we should do something with that. And I mean, I've seen the band enough that seen those individual songs before, um, but it was really cool to see it seem together. Just and the fact that. They're, they kind of acknowledge that, hey, this came out 30 years ago. Uh, let's play them. And for for not um, not a very long show compared to how you know the the home and away shows went before the you know the pandemic, it, it was it was a rocker all the way through. And having those two on there really just you know made the made the show just amazing. Um, just the fact that they could actually not still do it, you know, but um, I think it would have been great though. If like Eddie would have just played some of the drums that he played in the movie. Um, and they just did a, couple, a compliment a for us. It's a compliment they did, for you. Uh, because, <laughs> cause I mean, I still, yeah, we still quote those to each other. Like, Oh, Hey, uh, ably backed by uh you know stone jeff and uh drummer eddie vetter that's that's a good review that's a good one <laughs> cliff <laughs> matt dillon's character is just you know that's why i love about the poncier tapes is you know chris thought oh this is great what if this guy gets kicked out of the band and he's just busking on the street and this is like the ep puts together and it's obviously chris cornell singing it like if that was really his voice I don't think they would have ever been uh, this guy. It's just a garbage lead singer. And the rest of the band's pretty good, though. Like, those guys are good. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a more of a casual Pearl Jam fan. And I have a bunch of friends that are also casual Pearl Jam fans. But everyone will be like, oh, but State in Love and Trust is mm -hmm. a really great song. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Well, that song is just undeniable. Well, I think, too, like I said before, or I alluded to before, it's just the, it kind of, speaks to if you're a casual fan i would assume you know you kind of gravitate towards 10 in some of those earlier songs and you think about those two songs you know breath and state of love and trust aren't on a studio album 
but not only do they stand alone, but they could and probably should be on a studio album. I mean, they're, like I said, they're still two of the strongest tracks that they've done. And, you know, to say that they were just sort of soundtrack inclusions and, oh, this is the only way you can get it, like Michael, you alluded to before. I think that's why a lot of us went out to grab the CD because of those kind of things. Because at the time, I mean, even though the, the soundtrack was delayed and all that kind of stuff, but Dirt wasn't out yet, so you couldn't hear Wood by Alice in Chains. Those two Pearl Jam songs you couldn't hear anywhere else. Um, Nearly Lost You by the Screaming Street, Sweet Oblivion, the, the um, release date was postponed so they could put the soundtrack out first. So I think a lot of us were just sort of like, oh, let's grab it so we can hear these songs and sort of fell in love with it. And then maybe, you know, some of them are still our favorite songs that we branched out and, and found the, you know, the records that those were on, but those two standalone tracks and a lot of standalone tracks are just, you know, they still resonate. And I think that's a, a testament to the, the power of those songs and the soundtrack itself. Yeah, I know this is going to sound really nerdy, but I feel like the soundtrack is such a like bargain for someone who like in the 90s was just getting into like music. And like you get exposed to all these great mm -hmm. bands of the moment, right? Like Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. And then you get some classic rock influences. You get, a Ze you know, the Zeppelin cover by the Lovemongers. I mean, obviously, the you know, the Hearts or the Wilson sisters are are legends in their own right, but, you know, they're covering Zeppelin. And then you've got, you know, Westerberg, who may not be a household name, but people should know his name. And, like, you know, for me, who, you know, was, like, trying to, like, scrounge up allowance to buy CDs and stuff, you know, it was, like, such a great value. Oh, completely agree. Yeah, and a lot of these songs are, like, pretty long, too. Like, I mean the the average is probably like about like five minutes i think for each song yeah well and what's interesting we haven't talked about it yet but like mother love phone you know is on the soundtrack and we talk about it, they may have been in the movie but a lot of those songs aren't in the movie and at the time when you're selling a soundtrack or you know putting a soundtrack together for a movie you want to you know incorporate songs that are in the movie or or might play in the trailer that you could you know promote and now you've got all of these well i guess i should say when the soundtrack was put together and with the movie was recorded was sort of before you know nevermind and 10 and all that stuff came out so they kind of held on and, and delayed the release i think in fact um camera Crow said at one time that as the studio was going to release it they wanted to change the name of the movie to come as you are because nevermind was shooting up the charts and he was like absolutely not but then you know i think a m or EMI, whoever started re you know invigorating uh, and re-promoting temple of the dog and all that kind of you know everything we know about cashing in on the seattle sound and stuff but I think that's what's even more fascinating is that the movie, the soundtrack, everything was put together before sort of the, um, as Mark Arm would say, <laughs> in Overblown, before everybody loved us and everybody loved our, their town. Um, it was all put together sort of as a, what Cameron was feeling and all that sort of stuff. So I think that makes it even more poignant is it wasn't put together as a, as a way to exploit or cash in on a movement. It really was a love letter, the soundtrack at least, was a love letter to a community, to a town. And then it just so happened to be tapped into the zeitgeist, you know, a couple years later when they finally released it. Yeah, and if you look at the songs that are not on the soundtrack that are included in the movie, like you would have a second amazing soundtrack. You have like Jane's Addiction and like Muddy Waters and the Pixies and John Coltrane and R.E.M. And oh, R.E.M. Oh, yes. Thank you for bringing up R.E.M. with that. Yeah, especially when that happens in with radio song. Like 
in the movie, you know, like I th- I think of all when I when I hear those non soundtrack songs, I it brings me to the parts in the movie, you know, when they're listening to the vinyl, uh, when they first like that first night that he kind of like has her come over. And I can still remember like the family affair. It kind of sounds like the records like skipping um, with the Sly and the Family Stone song. And that's, you know, it's just cool. I I don't know that I always wanted to like, like grow up. And that was like my life um, to live in that apartment and like meet people, like meet girls in Seattle and like just bring them over and like listen to records. I thought like, how cool would that be? (laughs) Like, In my, if that happened to me in real life, and you know, when you're like 13 years old, it's like, I think I'm gonna move to Seattle and this is it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in that apartment and I'm just gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be those guys at the coffee shop. And, uh, even though I can't play an instrument or anything like that, but, um, it's funny that, you know, that my wife and I actually lived in Seattle last year for like a month on, um, we actually went to the singles house, the singles apartment complex. And I took like a thousand pictures in front of it, <laughs> and like to the side um, where the garage is. And it just, I was like, man, this is it. Like, this is where singles was at. And I can cure the music and I can, I can see Chris Cornell, like headbanging, like when he's, uh, when Cliff is like, blows out the windows, turning up the speakers really loud in her car and blows out the windows. <laughs> like, I mean, just like there's something, you know, it's it. There was when I was a kid, there was two places I wanted to live, and one was Seattle, and the other one was Chicago. And Chicago was like later because of high fidelity, like, and I was in uh, college, um, and I'm like, man, Chicago's right here, and I love this movie, and I love this soundtrack, and I love um, this book, and it's probably a little easier for me to go to Chicago than it is to just pick up and move across the country to Seattle because uh, I've been infatuated because of a movie that came out, you know, 1992 and the soundtrack was so awesome that I, that was it. Like I'm going to be a Seattle person. (laughs) No, I can't find the quote, but I believe that like they were looking at maybe adding a Nirvana song to the soundtrack, but Nirvana passed. I mean, I just can't, imagine nirvana being on this and being part of this movie yeah i think it was supposed to be emodium oh i believe that became breeze yeah yeah but yeah Yeah. i i feel like this movie benefits from like not having that nerve that huge nirvana elephant in the room well it also brings up a good point Oh, it's not, it's soundtrack would have sold millions and millions if a, a rare Nirvana song. But I was going to say, it also brings up that good point of how Nirvana really wasn't in sort of the community. You know, their grunge and every, you know, Seattle sound and all that kind of stuff. But the, all the, everybody on the soundtrack and everybody, you know, sort of in the movie, like you have, you know, from Green River to Mother Love Bone, World Jam. Soundgarden, Allison Payne, Ann and Nancy Wilson. Uh, they were all up in Seattle. They were all obviously I didn't come later, but they're all a part of this community. They're all there where Nirvana is up in Aberdeen. They sort of, even though they're on sub pop, they weren't necessarily in the community. And I think that's, you know, like you said, it would have been odd to have them in there. And I think they would have just sort of been shoehorned to sell records rather than you know the testament to a community or to a scene because they really weren't a part of it i mean you know you can say grunge and you can say all that sort of stuff especially in hindsight but i don't think nirvana was necessarily a part of what we now would consider grunge i mean i know that's a whole other conversation but you know, when Cameron's putting this movie together, the soundtrack and all that kind of stuff, it was sort of, you know, his buddies um, or people that his, you know, his wife was involved in, like Paul Westerberg and the replacements are on the Say Anything soundtrack, Mother Love Bone, um, you know, all those, all those folks. And Nirvana really wasn't a part of that scene. So speaking of Westerberg, there's a in-joke in the movie about how I think 
they're like reading the paper and they are, the, the uh, writers talking about the Seattle scene and how it probably won't blow up like the Minneapolis scene. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. Wait, That's... isn't it? Oh no! What, what's that, the Minneapolis the, scene? <laughs> no, but isn't that's in the review, Soul right? Asylum? Where he says, uh, "Yeah, that's in the review." Yeah, right? if Cliff is a big fish in a small pond because he's in Seattle, but if you move to a real music scene like Minneapolis, he'd be exposed because he's not talented enough, right? I think something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's a. That's I still it's one of my favorite scenes. I remember like watching that with uh, my wife for the first time she saw it and she's like, Is that Eddie Vetter and Jeff Amen and Stone Gossard? I'm like, Yeah, she goes, I didn't know they were in this movie. I'm like, eh, Yeah, they if you, my wife's a little younger than me, so she would have never seen this movie when it first came out. Um, but you know, when the movie came out, like. Even at the time, like even if you had ten, and I don't, it was I can't remember if Jeremy was Jeremy. I think was our just was out by then, um, but like you wouldn't know if Jeff Amet and Stone Gossard Jeff's walked, got that big hat you know, in though. Front of you he, uh, gave you a high five. Can't really blend in. Like, if that's who those guys that. are. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I just don't think you would recognize them. I know, like now, I think you, you know. I think you would, but it's not like he had the internet and you, you know, you'd have to see the videos and you had to say, say you had to have like spin magazine or something that, and they were in it for you, you to recognize who those guys were. Um, you ha- yeah. <laughs> but that, that's to me, that's what's like crazy. Like all the different people that are in it. Like, I think it took me a couple watches to even realize that was chris cornell like standing there um with the speakers like obviously when they're singing birth ritual um live at that um at the club which by the way i mean the way the vocals on that and how he hits those those notes and how his voice doesn't like just shred like his vocal cords how they don't like kick off of his body when he's doing that song um that is probably one of the, like the hardest singing and like that, that he hits in like any of Soundgarden songs. It's just, and, and the, the power that he has in that song is just amazing. And then singles and then, and then uh seasons is, you know, a couple songs before and you're like, this is the same guy like singing. It's amazing. And to bring up uh, one of your favorite records, Michael seasons really sounds like it could have been from Zeppelin three. Like, honestly, to me, like, if that was a follow-up song yeah. on, you know, right after Tangerine, be like, oh, yeah, that fits. Especially when, you know, you have the love monger part doing Battle yeah. of Evermore. Right in that track listing, you're like, oh, this makes sense. And it totally, you know, takes me away from Soundgarden just because at the time it was a completely different side of Cornell. You know, he's because that's louder than love. You know, we're way before bad motor or yeah, bad motor, not bad motor finger, but um, super unknown and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, during seasons, and you're like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense. Yeah. And that just paved the way to like all the stuff that you see that has come out now, like on, you know, Sirius XM with, you know, him doing Nothing Compares to You and Ave Maria. Um, it's just like, you didn't know it was there, you know, really? Like, I remember listening to the soundtrack the first time and Seasons came on and you're like, that's the guy from Soundgarden? Like, it doesn't even sound like a Soundgarden song. And then Birth Ritual comes on and you're like, oh, okay. Well, no, now it's, I, I, <laughs> this is, a, this is, you know, Soundgarden. All right. <laughs> this is what you expect. Um, but Danny, you're right. Like it is like how Zeppelin three, um, you know, that especially the second half of Zeppelin three compared to the first two Zeppelin records. You know, if you think about all the Soundgarden songs, and then you have Seasons here, or um, obviously there's some stuff on Temple of the Dog, like 
that you know he does slow down and sing but i most people who bought temple the dog kind of listened to like two or three songs i think you know like a casual fan um so you didn't a lot of times hear the slower stuff um but this was like the first time and i mean and this was kind of like just a throwaway kind of a gag with all the poncier thing and it's one of his best songs like he's ever sang it's amazing I, I I completely spaced on this fact, but I found it on like Cameron Crowe's website. Out the Allison Chain song "Wood" was nominated for Best Movie Song at the 1993 MTV Movie Awards. For some reason, I find that so strange. Yeah. I did not know that. I'm just hearing that for the first time. Amazing. So I was like, I guess MTV has just changed so much. It just doesn't sound like <laughs> the same universe, like an Alice in Chains song being nominated for best movie song. Yeah, right. it is a pretty big swing to open the soundtrack with that song, too, because it is very dark and foreboding. You're like, what is this going to be? And I mean, if if you didn't know Alice in Chains, and I think they only had like an EP out at the at the time when this is all coming out and every like singles is coming out. It's kind of like, this is just some weird, this is like something that your parents would warn you about. It's like, Oh, that rock and roll is going to make you pray to the devil or something. And it, it, it really <laughs> gives a strange, uh, background for the, the, uh, the movie. I mean, like it, it, it works when they're playing it in the club scene and everything like that. But if you're thinking about the movie, which is kind of, you know, it's a rom-com and you got this weird dark song, it's kind of like, I, how does, how does this fit? But you know, it's, it's in looking at the whole soundtrack as like a love letter to Seattle and everything. And yeah, there's, you know, there's uh, uh mud honey. They were in green river with Jeff and stone. And then it becomes Pearl jam. And Andy wood was roommates with Chris Cornell and wood is written about Andy wood. And it, it's all yeah. just this weird spider web of connections that that brings it all together and then you have you know paul westerberg and and uh, and, uh smashy pumpkins which you know kind of just comes in there out of nowhere but it, it all still sort of fits especially like in a mixtape sort of way where you have to have an ebb and a flow and you got to have a couple weird ones in there to kind of show your credibility i guess try to impress the girls <laughs> that you're having handed out to no i was just gonna say when you brought up wood as a as an opener especially for a rom-com you're opening up with it and it's not only a you know stylistically a dark song but like you said it's written about you know jerry wrote it about andrew wood and you know depression and and uh you know addiction and all that kind of stuff and it's the opening song to a rom-com soundtrack you know that's not going to be on waiting to exhale, you know? <laughs> so you're exactly right. It's, it's <laughs> absolutely amazing that not amazing, but it just sort of sets the tone to what the soundtrack is. And I think that's why it, it may uh, have stood the test of time, regardless of what people may think about, you know, grunge or all that sort of stuff. But there's weight to the soundtrack that isn't just sort of, either one-offs or maybe fluff or flair for that maybe other soundtracks have yeah like if you've never seen the movie and you listen and you listen to the soundtrack and you hear wood you would not assume a rom-com you would probably assume more <laughs> more <of> crow. <laughs> yeah yeah it's very it's got a very crow like intro for sure and yeah, especially like the, I mean, the movie itself starts off with dyslexic heart, right? And, you know, while the, the opening credits are rolling and that's not played until, you know, the fourth song on on the soundtrack. And especially it's if you were a fan of the movie, but again, I, obviously the soundtrack came out before, 
And say you saw the movie and you didn't know the soundtrack was out and you're like, oh, I'm going to pretty pumped. And you press play and it's the guys that were screaming at the bar that they went to that they couldn't hear each other at. And you're like, where, where is the, like the lighter, <laughs> like the lighter stuff that I heard, you know, during the movie itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's know? interesting. If you, if you're 20 something or 30 something in 92 and you're like, Oh, I like this movie. It was a light hearted rom-com. And you're like, Oh, I want to buy the soundtrack. <laughs> and all of a sudden you pop the cassette in and it starts off with wood. Like, what do you do? You know what I mean? It's not uh, the bodyguard or uh, yeah, especially if you don't know Paul Westerberg or REM, you know, you know, and you the didn't know that played in the you did, like yeah, like you, yeah, you're expecting to hear like oh, I wonder if REM and Sly the Family Stone are going to be on here, you know, and it's you get that, and yeah, you're like where did this come from? And then you then you have you know breath. <laughs> I mean, obviously, seasons like is kind of in the movie a little more. That's a little more towards the soundtrack of this. Uh, I mean, towards the movie like feel. Um, and then you get to dyslexic heart, <laughs> but then when you all of a sudden you get to birth ritual and say love and trust, but holy cow, this is just it. It really is like it, it's a it's a great soundtrack. There are sometimes like in the movie where you're like, I don't know how this would fit, like birth ritual would not fit in the regular like a regular movie unless they're at that concert you know unless they go to that club while uh, because i mean he comes out his shirts off and he looks like tarzan and he's just screaming and you're like what the is going on here like and you're thinking this is supposed to be a like a cameron crow like say anything type stuff you know well that's a great point how many, I don't know anybody is, but how many dates do you think you could have taken to that club and that right. fan walked on and they stick <laughs> because with you? I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, you guys may know this, but you know, I, I'm reading this book, Not For You, by uh, Rowan Giovanni. I don't know if I have Giveny. his name right. Giveny, sorry. <laughs> English is my like fifth language, I think. Um, <laughs> I uh, had him on the podcast. Little plug, you know. Uh, oh, nice. I... Honestly, when I saw that you're on there, that's I, I just started out and I'm like, there's eight seasons and uh, it's going to take me some you time to skip dig the weird through songs. That's totally OK. I need, that's a... I need a little bit of time uh, to get through that. There but, are no weird Pearl Jam songs. No, never. Let's all get that straight. <laughs> never. Yeah. How long was the Hey Foxy, My Panel Mama one? Was that like 10 minutes? Uh, that's how long that was. <laughs> uh, no, I think that was at least, at least probably half an hour, I think, because the we found the uh, the actual um, frontline documentary episode where those sound clips and stuff were taken. No way. That's wild. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, it showed up online like a couple of weeks before I started recording. I'm like, yes. That's amazing. That's, that's perfect. Like, kismet there. But um, yeah, like. I thought it was funny that like when they came up to Seattle to re- to film the movie, it, you know, camera court took the cast to, you know, I think it was the Mookie Blaylock and, you know, Soundgarden show and like uh, Kira Sedgwick and um, Bridget Fonda and, ever, and a lot of the women were like, ah, we'll see you later. This is just not our thing. And, you know, ended up the night was, uh, you know, Matt Dillon and uh, Campbell Scott like slam dancing like to these songs. And so that's why, Danny, you're right. Like, if you find whoever sat with you through that whole, if that date, if they called you the next day, then you just find a, a ring and you marry that person because most women would not have just been, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to these <laughs> idiots scream, you know, and this guy is what he brings me to. <laughs> called you on your home phone and or left them. Message on your answering machine. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was nowhere near your place. It is interesting when you said about um, taking the cast to see Joe. I remember reading something about the fact that when they were recording the um, Wood or the the Allison Chains live performance that's in the in the movie that across the street at the OK Hotel is when Nirvana debuted Smells Like Team Spirit live for the first time. And so when we were talking, you know, way back 
before about sort of the you know juxtaposition between does Nirvana fit in or whatever. It it sort of uh, reminded me of that, just like how a part of the same scene, but maybe not a part of the same community. So let's talk some friends. Because <laughs> I was honestly going to bring that up, and then we we're all like, "Should we talk about it?" And I was like, "Well, I I just couldn't believe that was a thing." My my wife sent that to me. She saw it on Facebook, and I'm like, "Well, it's on Facebook, it's got to be true," but. I, uh, but I was like, man, that's wild that I, I, I never knew that like until I'll be honest until like a couple months ago. And I thought that was bananas that I, I, I'll be honest with you. I never watched friends. Like I, I know episodes. I know who's in it. Um, like I, I've seen stuff, but I've never, um, it just wasn't my cup of tea, but the fact that it kind of, they kind of pulled from this movie, it's wild. Well, I think too, what's even crazier is like singles and all that kind of stuff. It was maybe the first time that obviously friends get into a much uh, larger, more successful team, but we talk about 20 something, something single, white people kind of cohabitating um, the coffee culture, all that sort of stuff. It, I mean, the parallels are right there. They obviously in on all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but it, it, it's amazing to think that the parallel between arguably, arguably, one of the most successful sitcoms ever started from a, a Cameron Crowe, or at least has ties to DNA, allegedly, not a lawyer, allegedly to, uh, to a Cameron Crowe and their soundtrack also has Paul Westerberg. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> Amazing. Except instead of going to see Alice in Chains, they're going to uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. I was just going to say, they go to Hootie. Monica makes out with the Blowfish. And got Pearl Jam at the end. The uh, uh, yellow lead better. Oh, yellow is on the soundtrack. Those are tying together. Good, great ball. Sorry, sorry. I, 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 I tried to mute myself because I feel like I'm going to sneeze again, and I didn't want to. Like, <laughs> I really held that one in. Um, yeah, I forgot what the I the first time you heard um, yellow lead better. I, <laughs> <laughs> no oh no i i, I was the same <laughs> what's y'all that better um but no i do i actually do remember that episode of friends um that they played y'all that better um it was uh i i i for some reason i've seen i've just seen like the end of a lot of shows i think because my parents watched it <laughs> So it was like, I've seen the end of Cheers, but I've never really seen Cheers. I saw the end of Frasier and never really watched Frasier. So I know how everything ends on a lot of shows. I don't know why. <laughs> like, I know what happens Spoiled. in the end of Sopranos. I've only seen like three or four episodes. Same thing with Breaking Bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I know what happens at the end of these shows, but, um, and that doesn't bother me at all. Like, ah. At least I, you know, I know what's going to happen, so I can't get too wound up what happens when people die or whatever. Like doing a book report. You just read the first chapter and the last chapter. There you go. Pass yeah. the cliff bonds here. Yeah. You know enough to uh, have that water cooler conversation. Oh, yeah, but that last episode. Yep. That was the it. Way it ended, right? Right. <laughs> I just know in this movie, I know the. I th- he gets back together with it at the end, right? So, <laughs> yeah this this movie is why I say bless you when uh, amazing people sneeze. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it was nowhere near your place. I I man, that's all. I'm serious. Like that was one of the things I wanted to do in life was to live <laughs> in, in that building. Just 
I'm sure I'm sure there wouldn't be the neighbors were not gonna look like uh the people that were in the movie for sure. Bridget Fonda. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Bridget Fonda was not gonna be like my neighbor that I was hanging out with uh while she was gonna fix the, the water fountain the, the the fountain in the middle of the uh the place. But, and this movie puts like all yeah. the uh the Seattle musicians like uh one step from uh kevin bacon with uh with kira sedgwick goodness great point yeah and he's now a musician or he has been a musician the bacon brothers band which is bacon brothers yeah every plays yeah and i just i don't i don't know i just read this or my wife was telling me about like in the chris the chris cornell book that they were in another movie where they just drove through him and his brother in like a purple car on accident through a movie i been i wish i would have wrote it down but like she told me and i'm just remembering it and the the director liked it so much that they had him record it or they had him go through it and do it again that they never used it in the movie and he was actually supposed to have a part in um uh usual suspects too and he not too like they made a like you know a second one um <laughs> as also um but he turned it down because he just a, 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 he just didn't want to do it. And Cameron Crowe said he was actually really good when they wanted to make him be Cliff. And it just, he's like, I didn't really, I don't really want to fall into this, you know, being an actor type stuff. I just want to make music, which what a different, you know, career path that would have happened if say he does do singles and he does do usual suspects. And, you know, the next thing you know, he's, uh, I don't want to say Elvis, but you know, (laughs) a guy who, plays music but also is in movies all the time uh but not the other way around a modern day tom waits yeah (laughs) so um brandon as far as i mean these are probably some of the better pearl jam soundtrack songs that they've done um where do these rank as far as like pearl jam sides for you oh they're they're way up there i i think they're probably i think most pearl jam fans would probably as far as like b-sides go the like i think probably both of these are in top tens just everywhere and as far as like overall pearl jam songs like i think like definitely top 20 25 for uh for people who are real into pearl jam it's yeah it was just these two songs just came out of nowhere in between the first and second albums when everybody just wanted as much as they could get and they're tracking down all of the the twenty dollar import singles, trying to get those uh, other rare B sides and stuff, and and you know, and then so, even with this, with uh, with uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, I mean, that's that's Mother Love Bone, and it's kind of the the evolutionary in in the in the family tree of Pearl Jam there too, where if you didn't track down that mother love bone cd as well trying to get every, everything you could then you know you got this too and then pearl jam has started playing this song too um which kind of uh is i think a a, a huge um tribute to andy wood and also uh to their to their history as as a band and to you know seattle as a whole yeah and i and i hate to say this uh but I mean, Apple from Mother Love Bone really is to me. It's like this song and like maybe one or two other songs. Um, it's very, it's very um, glam rock ish to me. Anyways, uh, and maybe they would have you know grown as a band if he would have been alive. But um, this song is, I mean, this hands down is their best song. Like not even a question in my mind um and then the fact when they you know pearl jam started covering it was pretty cool to like especially for those guys i know they mentioned that when we were at the show in in st louis they've been in a band with each other stone and jeff since 83 they said or 84 or just yeah something like that yeah which that's wild that those those guys, I mean, I, I I know Danny that long, you know, and my and my and my parents and stuff. I don't. There's not a lot of people I know, 
that long in my life. It's the fact that these two guys have been playing music music with each other for that long. It's crazy. Well, I will say what's amazing about Flo Dancer, Chloe Dancer, said that's actually in the movie to say anything. It's not on the soundtrack. But Cameron Crowe plays it during Say Anything, then turns around and adds it on the single soundtrack. So, again, pointing to sort of estimate of his involvement with the community and the people involved with it. And the power of that song. Um, do we have any other thoughts on this soundtrack? I, I, I would say that I would, wouldn't mind, um, if they had like a super duper deluxe edition and they put the rest of the songs that were in the movie, you know, on the soundtrack. Uh, I think that would be kind of a nice, cool little bump. I mean, obviously you can never have every song that a movie has like on a soundtrack it's not Forrest Gump you know I mean the big chill <laughs> Forrest Gump like every song yeah like every song that's on there that's it we're putting it on there it doesn't matter we're gonna make it a double disc and everyone's gonna love it even though they at the time you know that movie came out in 94 everybody has all these songs already but we're gonna put it on a, that's I think that's what makes this one such a good soundtrack and a lot of the soundtracks from the 90s because there were songs that that you couldn't get on albums. And I think, I know it was kind of, it, obviously it's kind of a cash grab a little bit, but it was kind of cool that these songs were on this soundtrack. And it also like even brought you to like, you know, I knew Jimi Hendrix, but I never knew May This Be Love. Like I didn't know that song. Um, you know, my dad had the greatest hits of Jimi Hendrix. So I didn't know it wasn't the greatest hit, you know, and obviously drown, you know, with the, from the pumpkins and it, it brought me and it made me learn about screaming trees and mud honey. So I didn't know who those, those guys were. Um, and you know, like a, at first I didn't know who the hell the love mongers were. And then I'm like, man, that voice really sounds familiar. <laughs> and, you know, when you're, when you're like 12, 13 years old, like you're not, not the music scholar that I am today, um, you know, but it's, it, it's funny. And I actually mentioned this in um, Steve's podcast about Led Zeppelin three. I'm like, nobody really did a really good uh, Led Zeppelin cover, you know, because that's how good of a band they are and completely forgot about, you know, this song. And then, I mean, cause it's so good. And, and Ann Wilson's voice is just like perfect for any Led Zeppelin song. Also, I would have loved to hear Chris Cornell do, you know, just a whole Led Zeppelin album, like just covered, like just a whole album of covers by Led Zeppelin, um, just because his voice is, you know, so about as close as you, you know, it's it's be- in my mind it, it's better than Robert Plant's, but like Robert Plant, like in the seventies, it's kind of hard to touch him, like as a vocalist but that's just like my opinion man yeah probably somebody's probably put de- put all the uh songs that weren't on the soundtrack but that were in the movies like in a spotify playlist or something like that probably oh yeah i i i mean i have one in apple music for sure like this the the, the real yeah, single yeah. soundtrack um i should put it in order like how it goes to the movie uh the next time i watch it because i actually still do watch it i have it on blu-ray um it's one of my it's one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time so i i legit i know some people think it's kind of dated and it's not the best cameron crow movie um but i've always just loved that movie because it's just such a great love letter to seattle even though i never grew up there or anything but having been there you know six or seven times in my life and lived there for a month it's just cool to like see all the different you know, clips and everything of the city. Well, uh, thanks, Michael, Danny, and Brandon for being on the podcast. It was really fun talking singles with you guys. Yeah, thanks for letting us come on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You guys got anything to plug? Plug away. Dan, we can both plug Steve's show at the same time since uh, 
I think we're uh, trying to break the record to be the most on there. We've so far been on his 90s Rewind and uh, his uh, his live stream. Uh, we're supposed to have another live stream uh, in about two, three weeks. Uh, the last one was just kind of a, let's talk about the first two seasons of Music Rewind uh, with a couple other guests. thought it went pretty well. Uh but uh, yeah, so check out Music Rewind, and uh, it's just a couple of normal guys. I host the Better Band Pearl Jam <laughs> podcast. It's a track by track podcast. We go through all the songs. I have uh, guests and uh, from out in the world. And uh, if anybody wants to listen or contact me, at betterbandpod.com and uh betterbandpod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show and dork out about pearl jam with me now that i know this is a thing I, you might be might be hearing from oh hell yeah always looking for new guests Dick over there i'm about to start talking uh avocado and i think i got a couple <laughs> of lost dogs left too i still need uh to cover I will just say, for, as in a side run, and Michael and I, nice. we signed up for the 10 Club. We were at a card table in our grandparents' house. It was like a get-together, family get-together, what holiday it was. And we had the um, liner notes of the 10 cassette, oh, yeah. and it was a P.O. box. And we sent in a letter to join the 10 Club at that time. So like 93, we've been in it. So definitely respect respect your pod <laughs> yeah and, and and honestly you're not at uh future days yet so um that is my actually my wedding song to my wife my wife my and wife i are and married I thanks for clarifying that one so um, <laughs> uh, yeah i <laughs> it's late here man i'm <laughs> getting confused with all this hocus pocus behind me Well, thanks, everyone. Um, there's also a great episode on singles from our friends at Society of Neogenics podcast. They also have Citizen Thick t-shirts. So, mad respect nice. to our friends Lily and Hannah across the pond. But yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram is SoundtrackCast. Twitter is Soundtrack underscore your. And we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash SoundtrackCast. If you enjoyed this episode, which you should have because it was great, um, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a, a nice review and um, check out Brandon's podcast and uh, check out Stephen's podcast, which may eventually just become Stephen, Mike, and Dan's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, we talk almost every day uh, about music. So. <laughs> And I think, honestly, if you um, ship this over to him when you're done, I know he was excited to push it because he, because he, I know he's not going to start recording, I think, what do you say, Dan, until like, uh, yeah, the beginning of 2023 or even November. So he's been trying to fill up some space to, um, you know, keep listeners. He told me you guys were terrified that I might get Matt Pinfield to do singles instead of rewind. Well, hey, <laughs> I, th I think Matt Pinfield might have a little more clout than <laughs> two guys from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us on, though, Ron. This was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Well, we'll uh, I'll let you guys know when it's ready to go. And, uh, you know, thank you for your time. I know that you guys are a couple hours ahead, so thanks for staying up late. And then Brandon, oh, yeah, well. you too. Nice to meet you. Yeah, no, I've seen you on on the internet. Yeah, you too. And then it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, yeah, with Lily and Hannah too. And I've I've had them on mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, have a good night, you guys. And uh, once again, thanks for uh, joining. All right, thank you. Good night. Thanks again. Bye, guys. All right, thank you. Good night. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. 
Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.